Welcome to Modeling the Movies, where we discuss and examine the character of the characters and the morals behind the message. Join us as we explore how to apply these principles to our daily lives. Now here are your hosts, Matt and Matt. Check one, two, testing one, two. Testing one, two, one, two, one, two. Perfect. Testing one, two, one, two. Here we go. Today's podcast on Modeling the Movies, we are discussing the 2004 film The Village from director and producer and writer M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Don't you just like saying that name? M. Night. Could you imagine like introducing yourself? Hello, I'm Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, he'd be getting I, some numbers. I would never get tired of introducing myself. M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix and... Um, an ensemble of actors, actually. Ensemble of actors, that's right. Really good. Bryce Dallas Howard. She was phenomenal in this movie. And yes, she was. Before we get into the deep discussion on the village, here are some fun facts about the movie that I got from IMDb. Director M. Night Shyamalan put the entire cast through the 19th century boot camp in order for them to get a good feel of the time period. Interesting. Did they eat hard tack and not bathe for a couple of weeks, or what was that about? No cell phone, no TV. I bet you a lot of them had a hard time leaving that environment. Especially in Hollywood, that'd be good to talk. They probably thought, you know what? This is actually not bad. Actually, you know, in 2004, wherever we're speaking, there really wasn't a lot of cell phone use, was there? Um, no, I had to they think. They were there, but it wasn't like hugely prevalent. And now they got the flip phones, I think. Yeah, Nokia could not destroy them. So it took the crew 11 weeks to build the set for the village, and there were only 300 people in the construction department. 300. 11 weeks to build all that house. I wonder what happened to the village now. Is it still a village? They're probably selling, you know, trinkets and things like that. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver suffered nightmares for two weeks when reading the script, Adam. The inspiration of the movie comes from two unlikely sources, Weathering Heights the, for the period drama, and King Kong for the uh, community living in fear of a predatory creature. Wow. The film is included on the film. Oh, the film is included on the film critic Roger Ebert's most hated list. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, this, this film is included on Robert Ebert's most hated list. I wonder why I love this movie. I do too. We recommend this movie. So we're we're positive people, Matt. We like, like to... I'm just going to go ahead and take this opportunity to put Roger Ebert on my most hated list. <laughs> yeah, that's... Probably has equal impact on the listener's ears. We need to find out why. Hmm, interesting. The film was originally called, to be called The Woods, but rather, but another film from MGM, The Woods, in 2006, was already scheduled... Using that name, so the title had to be changed to Village, which makes sense, the woods. Yeah. But it's a village. It was a village. Living in a village. Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin. Is it Joaquin? It's Joaquin. <laughs> it's the Joker. <laughs> jo the Joker Phoenix. I think it's Joaquin. Joaquin. I like that. Well, it's America. Joaquin Phoenix uh, made a wooden walking stick for Bryce Dallas Howard. He engraved the name of her character, Ivy, on the walking stick. But her character could not read it because she was without sight. Kind of a superfluous effort on his behalf. Yeah. You know what? She, he probably brailed it in there. 
This is your name. <laughs> Feel here. All right, moving on uh, to our questionnaire on today's movie, The Village. Matt, hit it off. This movie received a 6.6 .6 out of 10. Personally, I would give it a 9 out of 10. Starring Joaquin Phoenix, Bryce Dallas Howard, and William Hurt, Sigourney Weaver, and the phenomenal Adrian Brody. This was a strange follow-up to his award-winning film, The Pianist. Brody? Yeah, he won an Oscar for that movie, and then this was his next choice. Hmm. Never seen that. The movie was released in 2004, Adam. A series of events test the beliefs of a small, isolated countryside village. So let's talk about what the movie is about in our own words. I, I would like to. You know what, Matt? How many times have you seen this movie? Um, probably 10. Another 10. Uh, and another one for me. So. so we're at 11. As a team, we've seen this 11 times. <laughs> Your wife has seen it. You're one flesh. So I don't know what we got. We saw it together. True. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to leave it to you. You have the stage again for this one, um, explaining in your own words what the movie's about. You know, I have seen this movie a number of times. Frankly, I can't remember how many times I've seen it, but I've seen it at many different stages of my life, and I absolutely love it. However, you just saw it. It's probably been the better part of two years since I've seen it. Wow. So having just seen it, why don't you tell me what you think it's about? <sighs> That's skill. Hmm? It is about, I believe, uh, there's a group of people that actually lived in society, regular society, normal life, and they got burned, they got hurt. They were, you know, they all, I think there was like eight to ten people, you know, and I guess they decided they wanted to do a, a secluded area, a village, mind you. They built a, a, an area away from society. And so that they can have their own uh, rules, their own uh, community, and but keep it a secret amongst what they call the elders, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they created a turn-of-the-century commune, if you will. The ironic thing about this movie is that you have to have an enormous amount of money in order to create a society that lives without money. And so the protagonist and the leader, William Hurt, uh, his character is Edward Walker. He is a psychologist and a therapist and... After counseling a bunch of people who have suffered enormous loss and then all suffering from some version of grief or PTSD, um, he has an idea and he calls it the experiment where he wants to create a turn of the century, 18th century, almost England colonial style um, encampment and village. And only the adults that he invites to the community are in on what's going on. He intends for everyone born in that community to live in complete ignorance of the outside world. And so that's the that's the background of the setting, which we kind of just gave away the the big aha moment in the movie as well, right in the beginning. Well, it's not like anybody has seen it from this. You know, it's almost twenty years old, so most people have seen it. I don't think we're blowing too many uh, spoilers here. No, but it, you know, it makes people want to see it. Yeah. So, what did you think? I mean, you didn't have any idea what the movie was about when you watched it a few days ago, right? No, not really. When did you get a hint that they weren't really living in? the 18th century never never totally surprised <laughs> yeah yeah that was a i remember in the theater there was kind of a gasping moment i feel like people have gotten so used to movies having these big surprise endings and these big twists and now m night Shyamalan, his his blessing and his curse is that he can't have a normal movie people are always expecting some massive twist but he was not unknown he'd had a couple of hits with the sixth sense and um and some other films signs yeah i think it was signs before or after this 
Signs was before this. In any event, people were kind of expecting an aha moment, but they were still um, innocent enough to appreciate it. And so, yeah, I remember it was quite the shocking moment when you realized <laughs> where they were and where they weren't. Number Question number one. What can we get out of this movie, Matt? Um, there's a lot of things that you can just pull from this. Yeah. Um, there's a lot in this movie. And I think it kind of matters what your upbringing was, what your experience in life was. If you've had really good parents and you've had an extraordinarily um, blessed life, you might see this movie as a bit of a novelty and a, oh, that's really cool, aha moment. But if you grew up in a household where um, there was gaslighting, or if you grew up in an environment or had any experience, whether it be at work or church or amongst family, where you had been led to think that you were crazy, <laughs> this movie has so many more layers. And having watched this movie um, at different stages of my life, I remember the first time I watched it, I just thought it was awesome, you know, really, really cool. As I was older in life and I had experienced some of the ugly things that were portrayed in this film, um, the movie kind of hurt in a different way when you watch it. And when you see young, innocent, trusting people who are led to believe a lie, and then they're led to believe that they're, they're crazy for not believing the lie, then the movie has a whole different element to it. So um, there's a lot to take out of this movie, but I think it depends on who you are and what your experience is. You know, you can put 100 people in the room, and I can see why there's such a, a huge disparity between who loves this movie and who hates this movie, such as Roger Ebert. I wonder why he hated it. What, what's there to hate from this? Um, well, there's some people that actually watch movies just for, just for entertainment and not allowing the, the depth of the plot to teach him something. Yeah. That's why we're discussing it. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big movie fan, but I'm incapable of watching a movie just for entertainment purposes. If I don't genuinely laugh and genuinely cry in a movie, I don't like it. And this movie made me do both. So you're not stone faced when you watch a movie? Oh no. Uh -uh. <laughs> I'm the guy that cries at Hallmark. Oh, you cry at movies? Oh, yeah. Sweet. I'm going to cry during this conversation right now. I got some tissues. My shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot to get out of this. You know, as, as a parent, as not being conformed to what you're being told, you know, mm -hmm. the gaslighting and, you know, the lies or whatever. So number two, Matt, what lesson can we get out of this movie? I think the 10,000 foot view of the village is that regardless of how good your intentions are or how much you want to protect those that you love, that human nature itself and life itself is full of pain and it's going to find you. Uh, Edward Walker tried to create a world, an environment where he could keep things peaceful where he would, where the children there would grow up never knowing what happened in the towns or what happens in real life. Mm -hmm. But what happens in real life is really just coming from the human heart. And so, you know, born, born in a fallen world as we are, all of those issues that arise out of life started to happen inside of their village. And they tried to compress it. They tried to hold it down. But um, kind of like they said in Jurassic Park, you know, life will find a way. And I remember during the one epic scene when he is defending to the rest of the elders his decision to send his daughter into the towns to get medicine. And he says it was a crime. It was a crime that was committed here. And it is too painful. I cannot bear it. And I think in that moment, it was his own acceptance that 
as beautiful of an experiment as he intended the village to be. He realized that that life and pain and hurt and sorrow and betrayal, and in this case, the crime they're speaking of, um, had come from within. And the problem was never the towns. The problem was always the human heart. And I think this movie does a beautiful job of illustrating how the human heart, regardless of the environment you put it in, will always create pain. So that's kind of what I took from it. That's well said. Okay. It teaches me not to just conform to what I've been told, but to challenge the info. It keeps me from keeping my kids in a bubble of fear and allow them to explore within reason. Um, you know, I saw this this YouTube video about the things kids did in the 70s that are no longer acceptable. It's really good. Like play outdoors? Yeah. Kids play dirty. We don't use antibacterial wipes, but moms spit like 409. <laughs> you know, when they Fair had enough. to get, they were playing in mud. And when they had to get, when we had to get ready to go somewhere ASAP, yeah. we didn't, just mom's tongue here yeah you're good as gold um road bikes without helmets without pads you know of course i didn't have my kids do that either you know they had scars and scrapes they were like trophies back then kids got hurt people would not only feel bad but feel bad for the parents and not blame the parents when a kid got hurt things got things change Trampolines didn't have nets around them. They would put soap on them, Don dishwashing soap, and just slide and just yeah. see the friends slide off the trampoline and for a good laugh. So what I was telling you is, you know, with this movie, they were keeping their kids in a bubble. How much are they keeping them from society, learning from others, learning from mistakes? I mean, really, what mistakes are they, are they going to do in this little village compared to the outside world so uh that's what i get out of this it's a good lesson yeah what's so interesting about it too is that um all the elders by and large are portrayed as good people as loving caretakers as good parents and you can see how much they love each other how much they love their kids but they had made a decision in the past to to live a lie and that lie was gonna at some point get exposed and come home to roost. And that's what's so difficult. It's, it's not like, you know, Edward Walker or the rest of the elders were overbearing or abusive. There wasn't a red flag that would say, hey, something's seriously wrong here. But something in the heart of the characters with Lucius, perhaps, and with uh, Ivy Walker, they weren't afraid of the things they were told to be afraid of. And so they began to challenge the fear, right? And you and I had discussed over lunch today about how they keep referring to things as of the bad color. You know, one at one scene, they have a bunch of young girls that are happily playing with each other out in the springtime, sweeping the porch. And then one of them panics and sees some red flowers growing. They all get down in a nervous way. They look around, they dig a hole and they hide these red flowers because they had been taught that the color red was the bad color, right? And I was thinking to myself, you know, what in our own life, in my own home, my own experience, it seems like every family has something that's of the bad color, right? Something they don't speak of, whether it's something you're prejudiced of or something really hurt your family. But, you know, it challenges in your own mind to think, you know, what in my family, what in my life is that bad color? Something that I'm passing on to the next generation that they really have no reason to fear, you know, but the, but I'm instilling it. And we have to be care careful as parents, you know, because 
you know, you hear people refer to it as generational curses or generational sins, the things that we pass down. We don't just pass down the good, you know, inadvertently through observation. Our kids also pick up our fears, our insecurities, and uh, whatever the bad color is, you know, regardless of how hard you try not to, one day you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to see your dad or you're going to see your mom looking right back at you. And, um, but yeah, that's why this movie is such a, such a mind bender and really twists the heart of the characters because they're not pushing bad, pushing back against evil leadership. They are pushing back against an evil, but they don't even know what it is. And the evil happens to be the lie. And they're starting to push back on that lie. Mm-hmm. And the, the well-meaning, loving elders are trying to hold on to that lie, and it's beginning to harm people. So what they intended for good was coming back around, because you know what it's like when you live a lie. Yeah, it, it does. The truth will come out eventually. Yeah, will, the truth will find you out. Yes. Number three, who was a very good influential character? Um, I, for me, I think it's Lucius. He was gentle and very kind to Ivy. He loved Ivy. And what I loved about him is because this is something what I have for uh, my wife is protection. He protected her. He did stuff for her. He even protected her from when she was a kid. Um, But I like Lucius. He's got a great, great character. Yeah. Influential kind. How about you? I I thought that Lucius character embodied um, unadulterated innocence and just he was a pure, pure guy and uh, he loved his family. Um, he certainly had um, a strong affection for truth, and he just kind of blurted it out really awkwardly, which was part of the charm of his character. When he revealed to his mother that he noticed that there was something between her and Edward Walker, he just said it. How he uh, he turned down um, Ivy Walker's sister with her blundering, bizarre proposal. And um, I love the scene when he's sitting with Ivy Walker, and he's explaining to her that he wants to lead and he wants to talk, but she can't ever stop talking. And then he says that um, very endearing, beautiful line, which is um, the only time I fear like other fear when I when I picture you in trouble. And that was just, you know, one of those really sweet moments. I remember in the theater, you could hear a bunch of people go like, oh, it was very tender. But yeah, I liked him a lot. Um, I actually probably uh, see myself more in Ivy Walker's character. I was You're blind. <laughs> what? You blind? Oh, I thought that's why I was black. I was like, you're blind. <laughs> the redheaded girl is not black. <laughs> no, I, I kind of, her adventurous spirit, I was kind of raised like a little bit of a Tom Sawyer boy. And I um, I was always kind of awkward in public. I would just say things and do things. And when I watched her character, I remember like, oh my gosh, I could have been friends with her when I was young. But I really liked I liked her fearless, adventurous spirit. She's very adventurous. Yeah. So, so her, her character was awesome. And uh, Edward Walker, her father, despite the fact that he carried around the burden in this enormous lie, um, and he probably at some point felt trapped by his own lie, um, I do really like his character as well. And so um, he's a tough one because in one hand, um, he is strong and he is he seems admirable and honorable. On the other, he is just perpetuating this lie that is causing so much damage. And so he's a bit of an enigma in the movie, but I, I confess I really do like him. That's good. That's true. I like his uh, father being a parent to this. Yeah, this kid. When you're talking about the lie, it just I, I came up with this analogy in my head. Pretty much, just don't lie, because yeah. you know eventually it'll grow roots and roots and roots, and you got to explain all that. It's just the thing I wanted to say is it's like a balloon, a water balloon. If you let water in the balloon, you pinch it. <clears throat> excuse me. If you pinch it. 
and you're letting water fill up the balloon, you can let it go. It won't be as big. But if you hold it, hold it, and hold it, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, it can only take so much. Yeah. One day it will burst forth. Yeah, truth will come out. Yeah, I can imagine how bizarre it was for them to create this lie, to live under it for an entire generation. And then, you know, you have to think of how twisted <laughs> you have to actually allow yourself to become to put on these robes and to put on these costumes to terrify your own people, to terrify your own children, and to keep them underneath this banner of control. But imagine their shock and surprise when one day somebody else is running around and all of a sudden their monster they've created starts to seem to be coming to life. How much it must have freaked them out because like, was it, it had to be somebody amongst them, which is even more terrifying than thinking it might be a wild animal. That's true. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I remember when I saw the animals skinned around the, yeah, that's when I was completely convinced this must really be something supernatural, you know, but, um, there was a, an element of being mentally ill to be able to do something like that. And then M. Night Shyamalan really brought that around because, you know, Noah's character, of course, is suffering mentally. And then everything kind of makes sense all at once. But, um, you know, that is, that is a very twisted deception that kind of came back around on them. And maybe for the first time since living in the village, they had to experience the same doubt and fear they had instilled in everybody else. So kind of cool. He said something that do you, as a parent, do you, um, do lie to my kids all the time? You can't eat that. That's poisonous. It's rotten. I just don't want them to touch it. That's one of the things I was going to ask you. If you instill fear in some sense to protect them and keep them in a bubble. Um, no, I probably don't. Um, I I don't think there's any fear that I instill in them. Um, I like the, the, the phrase that's going around right now. It's been made popular, I think, by Jordan Peterson, which is allow your children to do dangerous things carefully. And so I, I lean towards that model of parenting. Um I find with um, one of my children, Hudson, that I'm constantly pushing him to take risks and to be bold. And, you know, being raised the way that I was by gypsy parents and, and kind of having, like I mentioned earlier, like a Tom Sawyer upbringing, um, I, I tend not to like to see timidity in my children. And in my Olivia, my daughter, there's there's no timidity whatsoever. And she needs to be, you know, protected and reined in a bit. But with my boys, I like to see them, um, you know, jump off the porch. I'd like to see them, you know, swing off the tree and, you know, let the rope break and then, you know, get get a, a scuff knee and come in. Um, my boys are probably, they're probably a bit more careful than I could have ever imagined being as a child, which is, you know, probably not a bad thing, but um, I would definitely encourage young men to be adventurous. Like the 70s kids. <laughs> We've changed. Maybe like the 50s, who knows? <laughs> 1800s. Yeah, when I just, I think uh, eggs, bacon, and sunshine are still good for you, you know. So I like the scene when all the young adolescents, well, they're actually young men, they're all playing this game where they go stand on the tree stump with their back turned to the forest. Do you remember that scene? And they're trying to see how long they can stay there before fear gets the best of them and they go running off the tree stump. Well, Lucius Hunt held the record because he wasn't afraid. But it reminded me when I was a, when I was a boy in Tennessee, um, we lived in a place called Towns in Tennessee. And I remember I was young enough that I was influenced by stories and local folklore. And when I watched this movie, it immediately took me back to towns in Tennessee. And I think it was going to date myself here, but 1987. And so I was seven years old and a couple of friends had told us 
that those woods were famous for having werewolves in them and being seven years old. And, you know, um, I, I fully believed it. And they told me they were seven feet tall with these snarling teeth. My brother who was 10 was probably more terrified than me. And I remember at one point it got so bad that Dan, my brother, he would no longer step outside unless somebody went with him. And I hated the fact that my brother was being intimidated by these werewolves. So, um, my mother quite, um, irresponsibly probably bought me a bow and arrow for my birthday one time. And so I gathered all the arrows that I had. I put them in the quiver in my back. I got my flashlight and I think I got a, a butter knife from the kitchen just in case I had to like, you know, put some butter and jam on a piece of toast for a werewolf, I suppose. But, uh, one night when everybody who went to bed, I decided that I wasn't going to let my brother be afraid anymore. So I took my arrows and I took my butter knife and I walked into those woods and this was 1030 at night. Everybody was in bed and I got into the woods and I was just shaking at him. I was terrified. I was convinced there were werewolves, but I had to kill them because otherwise they were going to make my brother afraid. <laughs> so I went out into the woods and I got my uh, butter knife and my arrows and I screamed at the top of my lungs. Is this the best you can do? Where are you? Come on, come and face me, come and face me. And I stayed in the woods until the fear had kind of subsided a little bit. And then I finally came back in and, you know, victoriously told my brother that I had scared them off or they were too afraid to face me. And so um, when I saw that scene where they're all shaking on the tree stump, it made my brother and I laugh because I think it reminded us both of the werewolves in towns in Tennessee. That's awesome. But I can remember that might be the first time I've ever felt like knee-shaking terror. You know, seven years old, they were as real to me as anything could possibly be. So I had no inkling that werewolves weren't real. <laughs> they are. Yeah. What is the main character's flaw and what would you do differently? I guess you'd have to categorize who the main character is. I'd probably say it's Joaquin Phoenix and then uh, Ivy Walker. And so I feel like there's four main protagonists in the movie. Um, William Hurt, I feel like it's it's pretty apparent that um, deception and the, the, the need to uphold that deception was really his flaw. And one thing I like about him is in the scene where Lucius Hunt comes in to the council and he says, hey, I'm responsible for all these happenings. I'm responsible for the skinned animals. I, I'm the one who did this because I wandered off into the woods. And William Hurt's character comes up to him and he says, Lucius, you are brave in a way that I will never know. He's trying to be gracious to him. He's not trying to browbeat him or humiliate him. He recognizes that this young man has more strength and more character. And I don't want to beat him up, but he has to maintain the lie. What else can he do? And so his, his faults are pretty evident. But uh, um, I do like I do like the fact that you can see that he's longing to be a good man still. Yeah, towards the end he had to make a hard decision. Yeah, but it was for the good. And uh, Noah, um, Adrian Brody's character, you know, obviously there's a a very creepy element to and what ends up happening, and his love uh, turns dark and turns into an obsession. And the classic, if I can't have her, nobody will, mm -hmm. thing comes out, which really makes you end up despising the character, which is uh, which is difficult because you spend most of the entire movie adoring him. He's got this childlike innocence that's just sweet. Um, but that dark side comes out and the madness wins out. And then you have to end up, uh, frankly, hating him, which is hard. And I think that's part of what M. Night Shyamalan was doing was trying to make you conflicted in your heart and mind by having this childlike character end up doing something so um, overtly evil. And so, so a lot of us are capable. We can't just be um, naive about certain people that wouldn't do certain things. Yeah. 
You know, you just never know about people. Well, it's a, it's a good lesson never to say that person could never. If they're pushed to a certain point in a certain circumstance, yeah. you know. Um, what do you think about uh, Lucius Hunt? What did you like about him? And was there anything about him that you didn't like? What were his flaws, if he had any? The way I saw it was the actually the elders and what they were doing to the kids um, would not allow them to roam and free, you know, from this cultish behavior. For me, I think it's kind of cultish. Yeah. Um, even though they thought it was, they were doing a good thing to them, you know, but it's, but it's since it, it morphed into something being more controlling and instilling fear. And obviously by doing that, it turned into um, people causing jealousy, causing anger, mm-hmm. causing envy, and, you know, causing Adrian to try to kill uh, Lucius. Yeah. Or, sorry, Noah, this character. So I think that was the uh, the faults of the, the elders. That's what I look at as a group, not necessarily an individual as a character, but as a group, you know, they're just totally creating a cultish thing. Yeah. So I agree. What about Ivy Walker? What'd you think of her? I think she was great. I like the girl next door type person. Mm-hmm. Very fun, very outgoing. Even though she had some a handicap, she didn't allow it to uh, push her down, didn't allow her to uh, um, confine her. She got out. I mean, think about it. She went through the woods. I mean, would I do that? Knowing that there's a, well, supposedly knowing that there's a creatures out there, yeah. you know, and she did it. Yeah. She was awesome. Uh, very valiant of her. I remember that scene when she goes down to the, the woodshed and her dad says, Ivy, try your best not to scream. Yes. And she goes in and she feels the claws of the creature. I imagine in her mind, she's imagining one is contained inside that room. And then he explains what the ruse is. And she looks up at her her dad from her darkened eyes and says, I'm sad for you and the elders. You know, in that moment, she realizes, oh, my gosh, you have lived with so much deception and so much darkness. And because her character is so radiantly innocent, her first thought was, I'm sad for you and the elders. Not like, how could you do this to us? Oh, my gosh, you've done this to us. Her first thought was, I'm really sad for you, which I think kind of depicts a really beautiful heart from that character. Do you think she would have had a different outcome as far as um, being bitter and angry if she could actually see? Probably. You think um, being blind kind of gives you a different compassion? You know, I'd have to ask um, a blind man that question, but I certainly think that you're going to value things differently. Um, you're not going to have the prejudice of the eyes. And I certainly think your other senses, including your sensitivity, has an opportunity. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to say that, you know, by being blind, you're by nature a more innocent and better person. <laughs> of course not. But her character was certainly depicted as, you know, having the whole world opened up to her and her her heart kind of saw the world in a beautiful way, even though she was actually blind. So True. Yeah. To contact us for more information, comments, or ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at champ180.com. That is info at champ180.com. Number five, uh, Matt, what was the most relatable character in the movie? For me, it was Ivy Walker. I loved her heart. I loved her spirit, her fearlessness, and her radiating joy and innocence. Being raised by gypsy parents, kind of in, like I had mentioned earlier, Tom Sawyer fashion, 
I just loved her free spirit, her happy go luckiness. Um, you know, the elders loved her, the children loved her, and there was just a joy to her life. And um, she's the character that I most aligned with, and she's probably my favorite character in the movie. That's cool. How about you? Um, Lucius, he's very protective nature, uh, channeling his fears. He did great at channeling his fears. Um, you know, he's quiet. Doesn't mean a bad thing. Yeah. He seemed wise, you know. Uh, the dad, um, William Hurt um, Walker, Mr. Walker. Uh, he reveals the truth, knows what's best for the upcoming generation to save Lucius and to save Lucius's life. Yeah. You know, he was selfless. He had to stand up to the elders, but ultimately he had to stand up to himself. Really don't think I would let my blind daughter go through the woods. I, I guess he had some reassurance there wasn't any real danger out there, but still. Just, yeah. You're, you are you are loving the lie more than her. Yeah. Because they took an oath not to leave, and so he ends up sending her. You know what? Oath, my... I would say, you know, oath or my daughter's, my child's life. Yeah. Mm, I've tossed the oath. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot that, that made you squirm about his decisions, about his character, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Part of you is like, wow, what are you thinking? But then again, like, wow, way to go. Yeah. What did you think was the most memorable scene, and what was your favorite line in the movie? Uh, the most memorable uh, scene was Ivy Walker when she uh, when she says, "When we're married, will you dance with me?" <laughs> I find dancing very agreeable. That was an adorable scene, and my favorite scene in the movie is during the first uh, feigned attack by the elders. The beautiful cello and violin music, and she goes to the porch, and in total faith and in total darkness, she sticks her hand out and she waits for Lucius to come with certainty that he would come and the the monster you can be seen creeping up in the background he grabs her hand goes inside that scene right there is just a beautiful scene and i love it so adam having just seen it yourself with your wife um number one would you recommend the movie and what would you rate it and why i would recommend it for a number of reasons obviously for um leadership there's some good leadership with um william hurt um doing what's best for his people exposing the lie exposing the the um being transparent you know whereas the other elders weren't really on board with that yeah. they were comfortable in their comfort zone um and also the conformity of being conformed to certain man's lies or lies that people try to impose on you um i mean there's a lot of different things that we can get leadership parenting um, how do you treat a woman you know how do you treat somebody especially their uh being handicapped he didn't just see he saw the heart of uh, ivy walker you know honestly be honest truth be told a lot of people look at the um at her appearance and not really the heart. Both of them were very in tune with each other through the heart. Um, so there's a lot of things I would totally recommend. Just seeing it once, that's just what I get from it. If I saw it more times, that question for you, Matt, would probably be a lot more in depth. Yeah. Um, I recommend the movie. I would give it a 9 out of 10 or 4.5 stars, however you want to rate it. Uh, two enthusiastic thumbs up. Um, I would caution people with uh, children or even younger teens that the themes and some of the scary elements of the movie uh, might be too intense. 
So I would say, you know, later teens, you know, young adult would enjoy this movie. Yeah, five years old. <laughs> five years old, let him watch it. <laughs> but I think the movie uh, is beautifully shot, beautifully cast, um, well acted, and um, it has a couple of elements that I really appreciate. Um, the The music is just beautiful in this movie. And the scenery is beautiful. Every movie that um, M. Night Shyamalan has shot has been filmed in Pennsylvania. And uh, it doesn't look like Hollywood. It seems like something else. And so I think that kind of comes through on the movie. But overall theme um, is that um, love, I suppose, will win over fear. Um, although the movie is kind of set for a bit of a sequel. And I think one day we'll actually see one because Noah, Noah's character makes their lies real. They say at the end of the movie. And he's made their stories come true. And so the rest of the village is still living under the belief that Ivy Walker was attacked on her way back to town. And because of that now, uh, they have reason to believe the one person who went to the towns came back and reported, hey, this really is real, which gives them more time. So Maybe a prequel on this, the elders, how they became. That'd be interesting, too. But, you know, they say great trilogies come in threes, right? Mm, that's true. The true monster of this film was the lie. Any lie is a monster. This was this was a big one. Do I look fat in this dress? Not quite a monstrous lie. But hey, we're going to seclude you in the woods and make you terrified of something that's not real. That's a whopper. Psychological lie. That's a double whopper. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Modeling the Movies. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. We hope you tune in next time as we find the silver lining of the silver screen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Modeling the Movies with Matt and Adam, where we encourage you to not do stupid, but rather to walk with integrity. Until next, next time, time, the mics, mics are off. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Hey.